This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg, often described as the Sasquatch of the Tallahassee Press Corps, but I'm holding out for Yeti status. Several cities held municipal elections Tuesday in the Sunshine State. The big winner, Orlando's Mayor Buddy Dyer. If at first you don't succeed, try, try again. A couple of Central Florida lawmakers are making another run at their election protection bills. Plus, there are two South Florida lawmakers trying to get a hearing on their bills banning conversion therapy on kids. A bill to revive the state's tourism marketing agency clears a friendly committee in the state Senate, but it's going to be a battle during the upcoming legislative session. If you've got ghosts in your town, the Department of State would love to hear from you. They're assembling an oral history archive of all the ghoulish and creepy stories throughout the state. We'll also have your calendar of political events and our latest update on Florida Man. Today, she's a woman, and police have the x-rays and CT scan to prove it. And now, the top stories on Sunrise for Wednesday, November 6. Congratulations going out this morning to Orlando Mayor Buddy Dyer, who won a fifth full term in office, capturing more than 70% of the vote in a three-way race. He told supporters in Orlando last night he is the happiest mayor in America. Meanwhile, voters in St. Petersburg have made their choice in city council races. Robert Blackman won District 1 with more than 63% of the vote. Ed Montaneri wins in District 3 with almost 54%. Very close in District 5, but Deborah Fig Sanders won with almost 51%. And Lisa Wheeler-Bowman won in District 7 with an overwhelming 82% of the vote. With the 2020 vote just a year away, Democrats in the Florida legislature are asking their colleagues to pass an election protection bill. Senator Linda Stewart of Orlando says the state has a history of making it tougher to vote when it should be doing the opposite. Our democracy functions best when more citizens are given the opportunity to participate in our elections. I hope that the coming year we will continue to expand voter access Uh, Removing the barriers to vote should be one of Florida's top priorities. Representative Geraldine Thompson of Windermere says they want to make a number of changes, including a new way to pick the person who runs the Florida Division of Elections. Florida's Secretary of State is appointed by the governor. Thompson says that should be an elected position. That office has become very politicized. We saw under Governor Rick Scott, uh, the Secretary of State was directed to purge the roles of voters whose last names appeared to be Hispanic. Uh, That is politicization, and that is not something uh, that is needed within the electoral process. We also saw um, the governor direct supervisors of elections to prohibit voting on the Sunday before Election Day. And the Sunday before Election Day had been adopted by African-American congregations throughout the state of Florida as souls to the polls. So if you don't allow voting on the Sunday before Election Day, you really dismantle souls to the polls. So I'm proposing that Florida go back to an elected Secretary of State, and that would be a position that would report to the people and be accountable to the people rather than to a politician who has appointed a person in that uh, position. Thompson and Stewart filed similar bills earlier this year. They went nowhere during the spring session, but they say you just have to keep trying. A bill to extend the life of the state's tourism marketing agency clears its first hurdle in the state Senate. Last year, the legislature voted to slash funding at Visit Florida, and they included a sunset provision that says the agency will cease to exist next year. Senator Ed Hooper of Clearwater wants to reverse that decision by giving the agency an eight-year reprieve. Tourism is vital to this state. In 2018, 127 million people visited this state from out of state. 
generating $85.9 billion to our economy. It drives visitors to all 67 counties in our state. What this bill does is it reauthorizes Visit Florida for uh, until October 1 of 2028. Without this bill passing on July 1 of this coming year, Visit Florida will go away forever. The only objection to Hooper's bill came from the Florida branch of Americans for Prosperity, part of the Koch Brothers National Conservative Lobbying Network. Philip Suderman is the policy director of AFP Florida. Americans for Prosperity remains committed to standing up for taxpayers and against corporate welfare. The fact remains that the practice of states picking winners and losers benefits a favored few and leaves everyone else to pay the price. Too often, the winners are special interests who lobby for special favors, while the losers are everyday citizens and small businesses who are forced to pick up the tab. We believe that the best decision would be to end Visit Florida once and for all. The role of the government is not to act as an ad agency, and it should focus itself on the core functions of the, uh, that society needs to operate. Visit Florida is not one of those vital roles. Americans for Prosperity is simply asking for the legislature to sunset Visit Florida in 2020 and let private investment fund 100% of their own advertising. It is time for Florida to move past this failed policy to create real opportunity. Prosperity comes when government gets out of the way and lets all of the individuals of Florida create new and innovative products which make all of our lives better. But Visit Florida has plenty of friends on the Senate Commerce Committee. Senator Tom Wright of New Smyrna Beach says never underestimate the value of marketing. Without Visit Florida, we wouldn't have the uh, people coming to the state. Anyone that thinks that advertising isn't important, um, well, they haven't owned their own business like I do. We need to advertise. And I really uh, commend uh, Dana Young also for her great work of being able to reorganize her program and to live with the new budget and still continue to grow the tourism in our state. And Senator Hooper says Visit Florida is investment that pays off for the taxpayers. For every 81 visitors that come to this state, that's one job. For every dollar invested to Visit Florida, we enjoy a return of $2.15. I would take that every day. I believe this is our smokestack. Tourism is the smokestack of Florida industry. It's important to keep that moving forward. The bill granting Visit Florida a new lease on life passed the Commerce Committee and the Senate unanimously, but it does not include any new funding for the agency. That's a battle that will have to be fought in the Appropriations Committee. Two South Florida lawmakers are asking their colleagues to pass a bill to help end the controversial practice known as conversion therapy that tries to convince gay people to turn straight. When it's used on kids, Representative Michael Greco of Miami says conversion therapy is nothing more than state-sanctioned child abuse. It sickens me that the state of Florida issues professional licenses to individuals who essentially abuse children, who pretend to be somehow participating in science when there is no reputable organization anywhere in the world that can say that conversion therapy is anything but child abuse. Stephanie Preston Hughes is a licensed mental health counselor who works with LGBTQ teens, and she says the whole concept of conversion therapy has been thoroughly debunked. Counselors, social workers, marriage and family therapists, psychologists are all taught during our graduate training programs that so-called conversion efforts are a form of trauma cunningly disguised as care inflicted by people who are not experts to fix something that is not broken. 
at the very least, it goes against scientific best practices to attempt to treat something that's not even recognized as a diagnosable condition. At worst, it can actually lead to other real mental health problems and even death. Conversion therapy is still fairly big in Florida. In fact, there have been four conferences by practitioners in the past month alone. Senator Jose Javier Rodriguez of Miami says that needs to stop. Child abuse, infliction of trauma, that is what we are talking about when we're talking about conversion therapy, and that is what we are directing our legislative efforts to. This is about kids' well-being. And in many cases, as we've heard, it's about life and death. Conversion therapy is not conversion, and it is not therapy. The bill sponsored by Senator Rodriguez and Representative Greco don't actually ban the practice of conversion therapy, but they would prohibit its practice by state-licensed professionals on Floridians 18 or younger. Next up on Sunrise, a conversation with state archivist Isabella Fulmer, who's collecting ghost stories from across the Sunshine State. She'll tell you why right after this. A lot of people give their opinions on politics and not just the talking heads on cable news. Everyone has an opinion. Sometimes a gentleman's wager can be the best way to tell how much someone believes their own spin. That's why you should check out what Predict It is doing. Predict It is like the stock market, but for politics. Instead of buying and selling oil futures, you can buy and sell shares in everything from who the Democratic nominee will be to if the president will be impeached. It's easy and only costs a few bucks to get started. Sunrise listeners can get a special introductory offer by visiting predictit.org slash promo slash F-L-A-P-O-L. Welcome back to Sunrise. And our guest in the studio today is Isabella Fulmer. She is an archivist with the state, well, I'll say the Department of State. I don't want to do the, mm -hmm. I'm sure there's a division in there of mm -hmm. something like that. But basically, she's a state archivist and she's working on this incredible project to collect the best ghost stories in Florida. Tell us what that's all about, Isabel. Okay. Um, so basically, it is a two-part project. Um, the first portion is a radio feature that we've aired on Florida Memory uh, Radio, um, which was in collaboration with the state folklorist Amanda Griffiths, and that's a project in which we kind of explored the oral tradition in Florida um, and, you know, Florida, Floridian um, ghost stories and urban legends um, and also discussed best practices for capturing um, oral histories. And then the second portion is in which the State Archives is um, collecting oral histories, um, ghost stories and urban legends from the public to include in a new collection at the State Archives of Florida. Why ghost stories? Why was that the selection of all the oral history things you could have done? So in particular, ghost stories were chosen for this project um, as part of our American Archives Month celebrations. Um, annually, every October, archives across the U.S. Um, celebrate American Archives Month by hosting special events to engage with the public and showcase new remarkable collections. And this year, our theme at the State Archives was Tales from the Archives, which is a play on the spooky 1990s show and comic book series Tales, Tales from, from the, the Crypt. Crypt. Yeah. Exactly. Who's your crypt keeper over there at the office? <laughs> I suppose Tyler McLean, my our collections <laughs> manager. Does he, does he do the little laugh for you every now and then? Oh, <laughs> she, she giggles quite a bit. Yes. Okay, good. Um, so our overall goal um, this year was to host Halloween-themed events that focused on historical narratives found in archival records. Um, so we thought we would collect tales from the public that are Halloween-themed, ergo 
ghost stories. Understood. Now, and the deadline has already passed, but the deadline has been extended, right? Yes, it has been extended through November um, because we're getting a lot of interest. And I really, um, we are just trying to collect as many stories as we can from the public. And what happens with these stories when they're all collected? Um, so just like any archival collection that comes in, uh, it gets sectioned, uh, it gets cataloged, um, and then individuals who come into our reading room or research room at the state archives can um, request to view the materials since a lot of this is going to be in digital format um, it can also be we can provide access to these materials remotely if they request it via email of all the stories that have come in so far have you got a favorite is there one that made you sit up and think hey that's a heck of a story um yes we actually had a submission um from patrick agnew in floral city florida um who in the late 1960s uh, attended a summer camp called the Lady of Good Counsel Camp, uh, which is still in operation. And um, the Lady of Good Counsel. Yes, that sounds not quite creepy yet. No, not quite yet. Um, the camp is still in operation. the uh, The children at the camp um, used to tell stories about this ghost called Hatchet Harry, um, and he was kind of known as the camp boogeyman. And um, he was the never seen but often sighted killer who roamed the camp waiting for an opportunity to um, slay the campers with his hatchet. Uh, the proof of his existence was his house, which became the camp infirmary. And Hatchet Harry's house had two wings joined by a central hallway, which if viewed from above, formed an H and the letter H. And um, according to Mr. Agnew, that was all it took to convince a cabin full of seven-year-olds. Wow. Yes. Nice. So we had our own Jason Voorhees before there was a Jason Voorhees in Friday the 13th, the exactly, whole thing. Exactly. The predecessor. <laughs> One, yeah. Version 1.0. We yes. were the beta testers for the whole Voorhees concept. Apparently. There you go. Mm -hmm. Now you grew up in Tallahassee, which has a lot a lot of, of ghostly stories. Yes. The old Sunland Center, the old jail. Was was there anything in particular when you were growing up that, that captured your imagination? Near downtown and also near Frenchtown. Um, and he his grave is, is just really uh, notable because it is a really ornate, massive uh, mausoleum that, that he built himself, allegedly, Whoa. because he anticipated the time and date of his own death. That's getting creepy yeah it is quite creepy um so he had a premonition of his own death set about on building himself a very lavish uh, monument he also had built a, a clock tower in town um so that is that was also a monument that was associated with with calvin phillips um and it said that the clock was broken stopped working at the time that he died Okay. So it's an interesting story. So if someone has a story they would like to submit to become part of this project, who, how should they get a hold of you or who should they contact? They can send either an audio recording or a, um, a typed version of their story to talesfromfla at gmail.com. They can also share their story on social media under the hashtag um, Tales from FLA, and we'll find it. But if they send it straight to the Gmail, um, then we'll get back to them with a real timely response and uh, be able to communicate with them about um, the donation process. I just have a feeling that hashtag Tales from FLA would be such a dangerous uh, hashtag to put out there for people to comment on these days. Possibly on account of the Florida man 
Kind of Flo- yeah, Florida man. Oh, gotcha. Think of it. Florida today's Florida man is tomorrow's oral tradition and oral legend, and I think we're stocking exactly. up the future really well. Yeah, I mean, I think the tales from you know, like the Florida man is is definitely kind of it's grown legs. It is its own urban legend. Hmm. Can we edit out everything I said about Florida man? I would prefer <laughs> that. Um, <laughs> You didn't say anything bad about Florida Man. Everything you said was completely appropriate. Okay. 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 In fact, there will be a Florida Man segment after we finish this interview. Oh, okay. Perfect. Yes. And you think there's a cultural significance to these stories? How's that? Certainly. So, um, while these stories don't document the past in the sense that um, the events described in them may not have actually happened, they're evident of a different sort of truth in that they document the cultural history of Floridians Um, through the stories that Floridians pass on to one another within their own communities. Thank you for joining us today. You've been listening to Isabella Fulmer, state archivist and head of the project about urban legends and oral tradition. And thanks for coming in today. On the agenda today, the House Health Quality Subcommittee meets at 930 in the House Office Building to consider a bill preventing local governments from banning over-the-counter sales of sunscreen. A similar bill is already on a fast track in the state Senate. The House Local, Federal, and Veterans Affairs Subcommittee meets at 930 in the House Office Building to consider a bill making it illegal for people to misrepresent themselves as members of the military or veterans while soliciting for professional or political benefit. This bill addresses issues like wearing uniforms and medals. Senator Victor Torres and Representative Carlos Guillermo Smith, along with members of the Florida Farm Workers Association, will take part in a news conference today to talk about legislation dealing with heat stress for migrant workers. That's at 1230 on the fourth floor of the state capitol. The House Business and Professions Subcommittee meets at 1 to consider a bill that would legalize the use of fireworks on the 4th of July, Memorial Day, and New Year's Eve. Under current law, most fireworks are generally illegal, but that law has a huge loophole that allows you to buy just about any sort of pyrotechnics if you claim they're used for agricultural purposes. The Senate Agriculture, Environment, and General Government Appropriations Subcommittee is receiving a presentation this afternoon from the Department of Agriculture about the state hemp program. That's at 1.30 in the Senate office building. The Florida Supreme Court meets at 9 to hear arguments in four cases, including a request from Governor Ron DeSantis for an advisory opinion about a 2018 constitutional amendment restoring voter rights to felons who have fulfilled their sentences. The governor asked the court if that amendment requires the satisfaction of all legal financial obligations, namely fees, fines, and restitution, before voting rights are restored. And state Republican Chairman Joe Gruders, along with state Democratic Chairwoman Terry Rizzo, are slated to take part in a Tampa Bay Times political conversation about the 2020 elections. That's at 6.30 tonight in St. Petersburg. And finally today, an update on Florida man's better half. A 33-year-old Florida woman is busted after being caught with drugs inside her crotch. The Vero Beach resident was in the booking area of the St. Lucie County Jail when a body scan revealed a circular shape in her groin area. They did a strip search and found something inside, but she refused to remove it. So they took her to a nearby hospital for a CT scan that showed foreign objects inside her body. A doctor removed the objects, which included plastic bags and glass vials containing methamphetamine, heroin, and MDMA. The Florida woman is charged with possession of controlled substances, possession of drug paraphernalia, introduction of contraband into a jail, and tampering with evidence. That last bit, a bit tricky. Deputies did not explain how she tampered with the evidence that was stashed in her groin. That's it for this edition of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee. Join us again tomorrow.